Okay. It's good to it's good to see you even uh, in this format. We'll take what we can get, Baruch Hashem, and uh, to be able to be together. Um, this uh, this morning we are learning the uh, Parshas Noach, and we're up to Pasuk Yud Aleph. Pasuk Yud Aleph. Uh, it says, So you recall where we're up to. The first pasuk of Parshas Noach describes Noach as the righteous person. It describes that, that Noach had offspring, whether he had happenings. Hold, hold on one second, please. So, so it describes what happens with Noach, and Noach has these three sons. And now it starts to describe to us once again the situation in the lifetime of Noach, the world of Noach, the world of corruption, of destruction. The world became destroyed before God, and the world was filled with Chamas. And what, is it, what does it mean, Chamas? Right? The Targum says, Chatofin. Chatofin is stealing, grabbing, taking away. Rashi translates gezel, theft. Now, we recall that, again, it was at the end of Parshas Bracious where we were first introduced to the corruption of the period that leads up to the Mabel, that leads up to the flood. And it described different things that were problematic. Described the powerful men, the Bnei Eloikim, taking from the Bnei Sa'odam, taking at will from the daughters of man, uh, it 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 uh, described how that the drives in the hearts of men were just bad all of the day. Here, in this parsha, separated as it is as a as a new paragraph, a new description, as it begins to describe not just the problem but the solution. So it goes over and describes the problem again, and it's a somewhat different description. And today, we're not going to spend so much time on comparing and contrasting the two descriptions. We're just going to try to look at this Pasuk itself internally as it describes the failure. And it uses interesting terms. And the earth was, how would you translate Vatishaches? The Targum translates it, Vishabalas. Right, and it was wounded, damaged, destroyed. The term of hashchasa is a term of destruction, but it's also, as you know, a term of corruption. Hashchasa is also a term for corruption. And so says Rashi, This is a reference to immorality and to idol worship. And where do we find this, says Rashi? Pentashchisun. Lest you, lest you corrupt, destroy, and that Posak goes on to speak about Avedizorah. You will make for yourself idols, images of all things. And the term Hashchasa as associated with moral corruption, he says we have coming right up. In the very next Posak, it describes how all flesh had corrupted their way, al on the earth. And that Pasuk seems to be referring to Erva. 
And there are different ways to understand that implication. One is because of the focus on the flesh, which implies that it's a corruption of the flesh. And the other is because it uses the term darkai, his way. And that we also have in association with the physical relationship, derech gever ba'alma, the Gemara says, bishleisha drachim, aisha niknis bishleisha drachim, derech is a term which is used for the physical encounter. So says Rashi that the term refers to erva and avodazara, refers to immorality and idol worship. This is a very important thing. And then the Pesach continues and says, the earth became filled with chamas, with theft. So that's a third area. Erva, avodazara, and theft. What are those three? What are, what's the significance of those three? That's something that we have to explore and look at a little bit more closely. And Emir Hashem, shortly, hopefully in our, in our discussion, we will come back a little bit more to discussing this and what these three Averos are and what this idea of is about. Now, however, I want to first spend a little bit of time on, a, on two words which are in this Pasuk that Rashi doesn't address at all. And that is that the earth became destroyed or corrupted before God. What does it mean that the earth became corrupted before God? So we look at the Rishainim. The Ibn Ezra says, first of all, what does it mean? The Ibn Ezra says the earth became corrupted. Rashi, the Ibn Ezra says, the occupants of the earth. When it says the earth, it means the occupants of the earth. He brings different places where the term oretz refers to the inhabitants of the earth, the earthlings, rather than the earth itself. We'll see later that um, there is a reference to the earth itself having become corrupt. But right now, let's go with this translation of the Ibn Ezra. The Yesh Aymrim writes the Ibn Ezra. There are those who say, Kitam lifneho elokim When it says before God, it means out in the open. The earth became corrupted before God means just out there. But some say the very opposite. The lifneu elokim doesn't mean out in the open. Out in the open is before man. Lifneu elokim before God means hidden, private. People did these averes, they did these, these wrongdoings in private venues so that it was only before God, only God knew that they had actually sinned. Only God knew that they had actually sinned. So he brings almost two opposite pshatim in what lifneu elokim, what before God means. Does it mean so explicitly that it came up to God, or does it mean privately that only God knew? writes the Ibn Ezra, what seems to me most likely 
is that the Torah is speaking in the human vernacular. When people will say, like a servant who did something before his master, without fear, when it says, means that people acted corrupt in the face of God. It's not talking about whether it was public or whether it was private. It means that they were rejecting God by their behavior. So rather than it being a commentary on the format in which they sinned, it's a commentary on the general attitude of the sinner, that they have no respect for God and for the values that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu instructed them to have and to employ in their lives. And the the um, the uh, Ibn Ezra ends by referencing a fourth interpretation, a fourth possible interpretation, and that is that Lifneho Elohim is not to be said as Lifneho Elohim, but rather as Lifneho Elohim. Remember that the term Elohim can be used to refer to judges, authorities, significant leaders. It's not necessarily a holy name. It's not necessarily referring to God himself. In fact, just at the end of Parshas Bracious, we had incidents of that. What was that? That in the end of Parshas Bracious, it described, as we mentioned earlier, that the B'nai Elohim came to the B'nos Adam. And they saw that they were good, and they took wives from whoever they pleased. So while there is a midrashic interpretation that this was a reference to the angels, the B'nai Elohim are the reference to the angels, and it is describing some very esoteric corruption of those who were the angels and the spiritual forces in the world. That's what we and we talked about that back at the end of Parshas Noach. However. The simple meaning, as provided by Targum Unculus, was that these are B'nai Eloikim, B'nai Rav Ravaya. It was the children of the leaders of the community, meaning that this was a description of the powerful taking advantage of the vulnerable. That the powerful saw, they saw you know, you know, beautiful daughters of man, and they took them as they wished, as they pleased. That's, the, that's what it means there. Says the Ibn Ezra that there are those who understand that that's what it means here as well. That the land became corrupted before the leaders, not before God. The Ibn Ezra is very dismissive of this interpretation. He says, They haven't said anything. Those who say this haven't said anything. Which means sort of that the Ibn Ezra doesn't like this interpretation too much. Um, so, whose interpretation, where do we find this interpretation? On the page, we find it in the commentary of the Chizkuni, who very interestingly often, very often follows the Ibn Ezra. Here, he brings this interpretation. He says, The land became corrupted before the leaders that were there on the land. Because they took women by force. Now here, he's saying basically that what this Pasuk is doing is it's reiterating. It's reiterating what it said in the previous Parsha. 
when it says that this land became corrupt before the powerful, it's describing the powerful using their positions of power in a way where they abuse their power to take advantage of others, which is, again, a recurring theme that we have around Parshas Noyach, around the corruption that leads to the Mabul. However, to interpret this Pasuk this way is that which is very novel, that the Chizkuni is offering in, her, in his, uh, in his it- interpretation here. The reason I would think why the Ibn Ezra doesn't like this interpretation here is because of the very next Pasuk, where it says, Vayar Elohim and God saw the land and behold it was destroyed. So to say that now there it certainly is Elohim, there it's certainly not referring to the leaders, right? Because then it says, and God, and God said to Nayach. So if in Pasuk Yud Beis and in Pasuk Yud Gimel, in verses 12 and 13, it uses Elohim as seeing and then acting upon what was done by the, uh, what was done in this time. So when it says that the land became corrupted before Elohim, it's very odd to say that there it's not referring to the same Elohim. When it says in verse 11, Elohim, it's not referring to the same Elohim as in verse 12 and in verse 13. That's a very unusual suggestion. And that's why the Ibn Ezra rejects it entirely. But means before God, the same way it was God who observed the corruption of the land and God who decreed and said to Noach, you know, I'm going to be destroying the world. I want you to be the source of salvation for the world. So, there, so again, Ibn Ezra introduced us to four interpretations. One interpretation, three of the four interpretations, he countenances, one he rejects. The one that he rejects is the approach which is articulated by Chizkuni, which is that the earth became corrupt before its leaders. And it was a description again of the abuse of power of the powerful within the world of Noach. And he says that's just not what the Pasuk means, and we're suggesting not because of the continuation of the Psukim, where Lokim certainly there doesn't mean the leaders, but it means God himself. The Ibn Ezra has three other Pshatim, in understanding that it's referring to God. The first two are understandings of how the sin was committed. The sin was committed before God. And, interestingly, he offers two opposite interpretations as to what that means. Does it mean that it was done flagrantly and obviously in God's face? Or does it mean hidden and subtly, such that only God knew? Those are the interpretations that he has. Now I would just pause for a moment and mention that indeed those two interpretations are offered and debated in the Zayra Kodesh about this very Pasuk. Listen to what it says in the Zayra Kodesh. This is the Zayra Kodesh, Samach Ahmed Beis in the Zayra Kodesh. If it says the earth was corrupted, why does it have to say following that before God? Because they did their wrongs out in the open 
before the eyes of everybody, kedin lifneho elikim ksiv. To, to, to support that or to bring that out, that's why it says before God. They did it out in the open. That's what the first interpretation of the Zayar is, and that's what before God means. Rav Yaisi Omar, Rav Yaisi said, Anna ipcha amris, I'll tell you the opposite. They started off sinning just before God. They didn't do it in the opening. They did it before God, but not before people. But eventually, they ended up doing it out in the open, as it says, the land became filled with wrongdoing. There was no place on earth that they didn't sin openly. So according to the second, the first interpretation of the Zohar HaKadosh is that to sin, they sin before God, means that they were brazen, that it was out in the open before God. And that's reminiscent, I would say, of the Ibn Ezra's third pshat, which he believes is the Loshan of the Pasuk, the Loshan Ne'adam, that means that they showed no fear of God. And it's a, it's, it's a sign of their absolute precasoil, their absolute lackadaisical, careless, rejectionist attitude towards any concerns about God. That's one interpretation that Rav Yehuda says. And Rav Yaisi says the opposite. It's describing stages. The earth was first corrupt only before God. People did things privately, quietly, that only God knew. But then eventually... As people sin privately, what happens? It corrupts their essence. And then the next stage is, the way the Zohar interestingly interprets, Rav Yossi, the earth became filled with it because they then eventually came out of their closets and they started to do the Averis openly and it filled the earth. It filled the earth in a significant way. That's the... That's the um, the Zayar HaKadosh, which I think, again, to a great degree, encompasses all three of the Ibn Ezra's, uh, uh, all three of the Ibn Ezra's interpretations. Radak has another reading of the Pasuk, which is very significant, regarding this idea of Lifneho Elohim. And he says, and he also begins by saying that when it says the earth was corrupted, it means the inhabitants of the earth. And then he says, This is to inform that he is attentive. He exercises providence and involvement with those down here. With the earth as a whole. Sometimes even to individuals. But behold, the whole earth was corrupt here. The Ibn Ezra is really taking this Pasuk as the introduction to the next two. We pointed out before that the Ibn Ezra roundly rejected the interpretation of Elohim in this Pasuk as being Chol, Elohim, that it's referring to leaders. Why? Because the next two Psukim refer to Hashem seeing and Hashem intervening. 
So how could you say that Elohim here means something else, that it's referring to a different tier of leadership, human leadership? It's, it's very unlikely. The Ibn Ezra says stronger, it's not a pshat, they said nothing. However, the Radak is taking the continuity of the Psukim to another level. Instead of simply saying, like Ibn Ezra's interpretations, or the Zohar HaKadosh's interpretations, that Vatishachis Arslitsnealaikim is a description of the condition of the sin or the attitude of the sinner, that they sin before God brazenly, or they sin subtly so that only God knew. What this is a description of, says the Radak, is the setup for what is to follow. God saw their destruction. means that God noticed. It's not a description of their attitude. It's a description of God's recognition and God's involvement because that's what's going to come from this. Is that God isn't just going to let this ride, but God says, look at this. I have to do something about this. So the first description is that the earth was corrupted before God. The second is that God took note of it. And the third is that God intervened. Now, the difficulty with it, one would say, is because why do we need three steps? Why isn't it just two steps? But the the simple response, or the simple way to divide it up is that, again, the actions happened and it was before God. It's something that, of course, God notices. God is mashkiach. When it then describes that God saw, yes, that's a greater description of, of uh, 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 at, at, attentiveness to the, to the situation. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking at it and he's seeing everything which happened, that it's not just that it comes before God, but that God, so to speak, convenes his court to pay attention to that which happened. It comes before him, and he then chooses to be attentive to it, and then finally to attend to it. And that we've explained before, and we will, Be'ezus Hashem, have opportunity to explain again. We're not going to discuss it at length here, but there is, uh, we understand that God has constant knowledge of everything which happens in the world. But God doesn't always convene to attend to it. And there are really three steps. There's God seeing it, which is always the case. There's God considering it. And then there's God's acting upon it. And considering it is not always, not a constant. That's why there's such a thing as Yumei Adin, days of judgment. Those are the days when Hashem considers even if he's aware, he doesn't necessarily say, okay, now let me weigh this at this point in time for possible intervention. And then once Hashem does weigh it, there is possibly the third step, which is intervention. Knowledge is a constant. Consideration is an occasional. And intervention is yet more occasional. Now again, we have, we have to understand, of course, Hashem is always running the world, but Hashem has yemeid in. There are times, so to speak, of judgments when HaKadosh Baruch Hu sets the pattern forward. So that's the way the Radak reads the Pesach. means that God was aware of it and attentive to it. 
So that's yet again a fourth interpretation of, of the of the pasuk. Now, what I would like to do here, as we continue along in our in our learning today, there are two additional aspects that I want to focus with you on in learning these psukim. And we could do it, we could do one before the other, we could do one following the other. I would like to, to, uh, to do, I'm going to make the choice to follow, uh, uh, to follow uh, the order that we're going to follow, which is to focus here on a turn of the Atishaches Haaretz Lifneho Elohim, which is a, um, which, which uh, besides for the phraseology of Lifneho Elohim, we also have this very interesting term of Atishaches Haaretz. And so here I want to present to you a fifth interpretation of Lifneho Elohim, of before God. This interpretation is found in the Pirush of the Rikanati. The Rikanati was a Mekubal, a Kabbalist, who for some reason was Zoha to have a, a line of wines named after him, right? Rikanati wines, you know, there are many commentaries that have wines today named for them. You have Rashi wines, you have Bartanura wines, you have, I don't know who else, you know, has it, but... Um, but um, you have also Rikanati wines. Don't ask me exactly why that happened. Somebody might know. But the Rikanati, which is a mystical pirush, which is published in the works always of the Levush, of Mordechai Gimpel Yafit, it's published, included in his works, he writes as follows, Omar, ki adam. He says, when it says that the land was corrupted, destroyed before God, it's not a description of how the sin was done before God. It's not a description of God noticing it. It's actually, and here get this because it's mystical, is Ha'oretz Lifneho Eloikim, the land which is before God. And what does that mean? The Oretz Ha'elyayna, says Rikanati, the world above. And what, what he's referring to, what he's understanding is that there is a spiritual world that exists in heaven that corresponds to the material world down here. And this is a very significant theme, which is found in many places, something which Rav Chaim Belozhener, in his Nefesh HaChaim, which is filled, of course, with mystical ideas, he uh, discusses at great, great length the concept of a spiritual world that is the counterpart to this world. Ramchal discusses it in the Derech Hashem, and the Derech Hashem which, prepared, which presents a very, very logical and rational dis- dis- description of the Jewish thought and the purpose of the world and everything else, his major deviations at the end of his major sections are to go and discuss that you have to know that there's a world, a spiritual upper world that corresponds to this world. And the Pusik is describing here that that spiritual world was utterly destroyed. In Reb Chaim conception of things, of the world, the way he understands it is as follows. And I'll give you just a very brief synopsis of the Sefer Nefesh HaChaim, which the abstract of the Sefer is found on its first page. Nefesh HaChaim. So why would Reb Chaim write a Sefer called Nefesh HaChaim? So you would say, 
I would say, because his name was Chaim, and he gave his heart and soul into this book, so he called this Nefesh HaChaim, the soul of Chaim. And certainly that was a portion of the intention. However, what you see when you open the Sefer is, on the first page of the book, is that the major thesis of the book is a discussion of the human being as Nefesh Chaya. Nefesh Chaya. Because as we learned earlier in Bracious, and we discussed this thesis of Rechaim Belozhner back then, it describes how Hashem blew, 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 excuse me, the divine soul into man, and it says, and man became l'nefesh chaya. So what does it mean l'nefesh chaya? So it simply means man came alive. We had all kinds of discussions. Was man alive before he had the divine soul? Like other animals, and then he was infused with the divine soul, or did he only become alive by virtue of the divine soul? But there's another possibility, and that's what Rechaim Velozhner teaches, and that is that man became the nefesh chaya, the living soul of the world. And he explains as follows, that when Hashem created man in the divine image, that means that man is the Tzelem Elohim, he's like God, he's the master of the world. And man, with our behavior, we have the ability to exhibit and to exercise absolute mastery over the world. And that's not simply by building a better mousetrap by conquering the world through technology and innovation and industrialization and all of the things that man is able to do. But, says the Nefesh HaChaim, rather, it's referring on a spiritual level that a human being controls the world because the world doesn't just exist on oxygen and hydrogen. The world exists on a spiritual energy. And that spiritual energy is created by the actions of man. And what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, what Hashem did when He created man was He said, you know, I created the world. I'm the master of the world. I could keep the world going. However, I'm investing in you the power, the strength to determine the fate of the world going forward. The actions of human beings will define and build, or heaven forbid the opposite, the spiritual energy within the world that sustains it, that makes it grow, that makes it flourish. And so it is that with the words of Torah that we say, with the words of tefillah that we say, with our thoughts of Torah, with our words of tefillah, with our actions, we create a spiritual energy that controls the world, that determines the fate of the world. Now we know that on a simple level because as part of accepting upon ourselves Malchus Shomayim, Hashem's kingdom, every day we say Kriyashma. And the second paragraph of Kriyashma says that the spiritual actions which we do matter. That if we do the right thing, then Hashem brings rain and makes us flourish upon the land. If we do the opposite, then all that energy is withdrawn and there's destruction that comes upon the world. So there's, uh, there's this... There's this back and forth that we have, and uh, you know about the actions of people affecting things. However, where Rav Chaim Velozhner, where the Ramchal, and where this comment of the Rikanati went was a step further, 
And that was, it wasn't just that, okay, we did an action, so therefore that stimulates a response from above, that Hashem comes and either sends a bolt of lightning or sends a pot of gold. But it's more than that and different than that. And that is that there's a spiritual world up above that is fed and nurtured by our actions and that the world down here becomes just a, an expression of, a reflection of. It reflects the health of the spiritual world on high, one way or the other. That's the idea and that's what's expressed here by Rikanati in Vatishaches Haaretz Lifnei Alekim, that the earth before God was destroyed. And this leads me to share with you the commentary of the Svarno. Now the Svarno, in his commentary, generally speaking, by far did not use mystical constructs. But he came to explain things in a simple and direct way. And what you have here is a very simple and direct problem, or I wouldn't call it a problem, but a flag which is thrown up by the Torah by the language that it uses. Let's look at a short series of psukim. Matishaches ha'aretz lifnei alakim, verse 11. And the earth was, let's translate Vatishachet destroyed. The earth was destroyed before God. Now, parenthetically, again, you recall that this is not a description of the world being physically destroyed. This is a description of the corruption that filled the world. So the world was corrupt before God, but it was destroyed. That's, and the earth became filled with theft. And Hashem looked at the earth, and behold, it was destroyed. Read, corrupt. Because hishchis, again, that same word, all flesh had destroyed its way upon the earth. As God says to the end of all flesh comes before me. Because the earth is filled with chamas, with theft before them. And behold, I'm going to destroy them with the land. I'm going to destroy them? We just described in Pusuk after Pusuk that the earth was destroyed. And I'm going to destroy them? The world is destroyed already. No, 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 you'll tell me. You're making a mistake. The first times that it says it, the verse is describing the corruption of the world. That's the hashchasa, a spiritual destruction. And then Hashem says, and behold, I will physically destroy them. Behold, I will physically destroy them from the earth. And that's certainly the simple reading of it. But when the Pusuk structures itself that way, the Pusuk is calling our attention to something. And what it's saying is that when it was spiritually corrupt, it was already destroyed. And Hashem's action of destroying the world physically is just following on the spiritual destruction that came before. The spiritual destruction is the loss of the soul. And let me read to you the way the Sforno says it. And behold, it was destroyed by itself. The earth had self-destructed. Even if Hashem had chosen not to punish, punishments aside, it was on the path to destruction. By their corruption of their ways, that ruins development. 
uvegezel and with theft hamekalkal hamedina is that ruins countries kiinian vitachani kemach like the pasuk which says that you will grind up flour it's a pasuk in Yeshaya. And what the Svarna is saying is you don't really grind up flour, you grind up wheat, and you make it into flour. But the idea is that, well, you're grinding it, and it is becoming flour. It looks like it's grain, but it's becoming flour. And so over here as well, the world looks like it's destroyed, looks like it's functioning, but it was really destroyed. It was really, really destroyed already. Now, the Svarna here is clearly a reference, clearly a reference to a Chazal, a famous Chazal, which says that when the destroyers came to destroy the, um, uh, came to destroy the, the Beis Hamikdash, that they, um, that they, uh, they were they marveled at their ability to uh, uh, to do that. How were we able? How are we able to uh, to destroy Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Migdash? How could we destroy Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Temple? And Chazal say that the answer to that, the answer to that uh, idea, was how could human beings be able to be sholet? Be able to have control and to destroy the the Migdash? The answer is Right? You have killed a dead lion. You have ground up already ground flour. It's a Medrash and Echa, Piskamem Gimel, paragraph 43. The how could you allow Nebuchadnezzar? to take pride in destroying the house of Hashem? And the answer is he didn't destroy it. It had already self-destructed. The Nefesh HaChaim, Rav Chaim Velozhner, brings this in the first chapter of the Nefesh HaChaim, where he explains that the destruction that was perpetrated in the Holy of Holies, the indignities that were perpetrated in the Holy of Holies of the Beis HaMikdash, were really because there were in the hearts of man thoughts of, immorality and corruption. And those thoughts sapped the life and the holiness from the Holy of Holies of the, of the Migdash. The Migdash is sustained by the spirit of the people. And without the spirit of the people being strong and holy and pure, the Migdash loses its purity. And so says the Sforna, and that's the way we have to read this Pasuk. The world was destroyed before Hashem sent a raindrop. The world was a shell. It was an empty, broken shell. Now, if you read the Svarna, you also read about the, the practicalities of it. Right? The Svarna is not writing in such a mystical vein. He's writing in a practical vein. If you have a society that's filled with theft, so that society is destroyed. Right? If, you, if you'll tell a person who's involved in what we call today self-destructive behaviors, we don't tell them, you know, if you do this, I'm going to punish you. You don't have to say I'm going to punish you. You'll say, if you do this, your behavior will cause your own self-destruction, we would tell the person. You won't have to be punished. 
it'll just bring the person down. If you smoke, I'm going to punish you that you're going to get sick. It's not I'm going to punish you that you're going to sick. You're making a decision, heaven forbid, to make yourself sick. And the behaviors of this society, the immorality, right? people are involved in all kinds of relationships that are immoral. Is that going to build a society? Is that going to build families? Are people going to raise children that come from relationships which are, which are performed in this way? No, they don't. Right? That's why uh, in our own society, where there's a world of irresponsible and you know, relationships out of wedlock, people don't have fathers. Nobody knows who their father is, or many people don't know or have a connection to who their father is. So how do you expect them to be raised properly? So that's an action. If we speak about Vatishoches Oretz being a, a, a corruption in the realm of morality, that destroys the society because then you don't have, again, the structure of a society of parents loyal to each other, loyal to their children, loyal to their families. If the earth becomes filled with theft, the earth is destroyed. A society where people are just taking advantage of each other has no legs, has no staying power. And we would add that the same is true with Avodah Zarah. A society that doesn't have reverence for the true God is also just on a path of self-destruction. So let's summarize where we are at this point in time in our discussion. And that is that we focused on the first phrase, and the earth was corrupt lifneo elokim before God. So we started with looking at what lifneo elokim means. And we had interpretations about whether it means flagrant, that they did it so openly before God, and that was the Ibn Ezra's first pshat, and the Zohar's first pshat. And the Ibn Ezra seemed to explain it by what he called his own interpretation, which is what seems to him that it means that they acted flagrantly. They, did it, they didn't care about what God thought. One interpretation. A second interpretation was that they acted privately. They did it such that only God knew, and people didn't know. Okay, so then that eventually, as the Zohar explained, when people do bad things in private, it eventually mushrooms and explodes, and the land becomes filled with wrongdoing. But then we shared the Redox interpretation, and the Redox interpretation was that the earth was, the corruption was noticed by God. But that in itself is also a very... Um, you know, very much about a world of punishment. Yes, Hashem noticed, and therefore he acted, he, he saw, and he said, you know, and he went to, to, you know, to intervene with the world. But now we've seen yet another interpretation. I left out the chizchuni, that lifnei alikim means judges. Now we've seen another level of interpretation, which comes at us in a rational way from the Svarnai, and in a mystical way, using the Lifneo Elohim from the Rikanati. And that is focusing on the first word which the Pasuk uses. And that's the word Vatishoches, that the earth was destroyed. Now, it means here corrupted. It's describing moral failure. But the word which it uses is Vatishoches, and it was destroyed. So that implies a destruction that was present before the Mabel, which is Hashem destroying the world. How does that work? So Svorno explained it rationally, 
that they were involved in the kinds of the behaviors that destroy the very fabric of society. So what Hashem was destroying with the Mabel was a world that had already self-destructed, similar to what we find by the Migdash. The Migdash wasn't any longer a house that had Hashem's presence in it when, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar could come and simply huff and puff and blow the house down. There was nothing to it there at that point in time. The Rikanati says it on a more mystical level, using the phrase Lifneho Elohim, before God. And he says that there's an earth that exists before God, which is the spiritual world, that is the abstract, that which is behind, which is the soul of the material world down here. That's the world which we feed and sustain when we study Torah, when we daven. And that world became so corrupt by the actions of man, that therefore, of course, as a result, the earth down here could not continue to exist, could not continue to be strong, could not continue to last. The earth was destroyed. The earth was destroyed because the spiritual basis for the world was completely, completely undermined and lost. So that's the, what's being described here. Yes, we have a list of chatoim, sins that elicit divine reactions. True. But we also have a list of chatoim that cause the world to collapse of its own weight. These averos make it that a world can't exist, whether practically, as the Svarnay explains, there are behaviors that just make it that a society and a world can't continue to function, or whether spiritually, as the Rukhanati explains, that the, they, they had undermined the very soul that would keep the world and would maintain the world going in the world's existence. So that's, that's a, a, a further layer of interpretation which is very, very important here in this Parsha. Before I go to the, to the second of the two points I wanted to make with you, I just want to share with you a small addition to this reading of the Pasuk. And it's a very interesting reading which is provided by the Nitziv. So the Nitziv says as follows. I'll, I'll, I'll read to you what he says. Yes. Vatishaches Oretz means those Averos that Rashi refers to. Erva and Avodah Immorality and idol worship. However, listen to what he says. Vatishaches Oretz Lifneo Eloikim. The earth was corrupted before God, bidvorm shebeinam l'shamayim, matters between them and God. Avodazara and Giliarayas, which are called Avodazara, which are both sins between man and God. Giliarayas, he describes as a sin between man and God. Okay, now we talked at, at, uh, earlier, and we will eventually, I assume, speak again, about that when it is taking women against their will, which is what was described as a sin of this time, that that's really sin between man and man. But the, there are other aspects of Arias, you know, like particular incestuous relationships that are considered to be a sin between man and God. So whatever it is, that's the way he interprets it. And then he says, Vatimole arts chamas. Hashchasa hakaidem goram shenismale arts chamas v'shaitamid. The corruption described earlier led to constant theft. Why? So the Tziv explains, 
He says that we learn in Masecha Saita that it was as a result of the moral depravity of people that blessing stopped coming to the crops, to the economy of the world. That immoral behavior takes away that kind of bracha, and therefore the world became impoverished, tremendously needy. Now that could have one of two a result, that could lead to one of two results. One would be that they would pause and they say, hey, one second. Why? Why is Hashem withholding His blessing from the world? Maybe we have to mend our ways. But if the society is not moved to reflect, instead what happens is that as a result of the privation, so people start taking advantage of each other more and more and more. Because they can't make it. They can't make it financially on their own. They can't make it financially legitimately. So therefore, they resort to all kinds of illegitimate behaviors. So the worse things got for them materially, the more they misbehaved. That's the way the Sforno sees the, the, the progression of the Pasuk. It started with the sins before God that led God to withhold blessing from the world and then the people, instead of taking that reflectively and improving their behavior, they in fact opened up new realms of improper behavior, taking advantage of each other, harming each other, stealing from each other. That's what the Nitziv says. So again, that's just like a footnote to our first discussions. But what I would like to do at this point, again, as we said, you know, just to, to, to finish and focus on, on a last aspect here of the Pasuk, is to go back to Rashi. <coughs> Rashi said that when it says, that the earth was corrupt, said Rashi, what that meant was that the earth was, that they were involved in the sin of Erva and Avodah Zorah, both of which are referred to as Hashchasa. So I want to share with you a few words from the Maral of Prague in his commentary, and then let's talk a little bit. Says the Maral. Why is the term hashchasa, which is corruption slash discussion, reserved for immorality and idol worship? He says, because the Yetzirah that draws a person to do wrong is dedicated to these two causes, erva and avodah because there's a Yetzer Hara for these two things, for Arias and for Avedizara, as he quotes from the Gemara in Yuma and the Gemara in Sanhedrin. And we're going to look at that Gemara momentarily. In a number of places they said, that there are two Yitzhar, there are two evil drives, Yitzhar the Avedizara, the Yitzhar the Arias the drive of Avedizara, and the drive of Arayas. Because the Yetzirah is dedicated to these two things, they're called Hashchasa. Because that which is bad is corrupt, is destroyed. Right? The very nature of Ra is rise, is death. And he goes on to speak about that a little bit more. But this is what he starts with, which is that these are the two primary Yitzarim as seen in the Gemara. 
The Gemara he's quoting is a famous Gemara. It's found on Yuma Daf Samachtes, Amud Beis, and Sanhedrin. Samachtes Amud Beis and Sanhedrin Daf Samachdal Ramad Aleph. I'm reading to you from Sanhedrin Daf Samachdal Ramad Aleph, and that's a Gemara which speaks about the Anshek Knesses Hagdola, who, as the second base Hamigdosh was beginning, they cried out to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and they said, you know, there is this Yetzer Harav Avodah that caused the destruction of the first base Hamikdash. When we learn the Nevi'im, and we learn about the first base Hamikdash and the failures of the Jewish people, the biggie was the sin of Avodah Zarah. And he says that's what destroyed the, our house, sent the Hechel up in smoke, caused the Tzadikim to be killed, and sent the Jewish people into Golos from their land. And it's still dancing in our midst, it's still present. Why do you give us this Yetzer Hara? So that we would be able to receive reward for overcoming it. But we're not interested neither in the Yetzer Hara, nor in the reward which comes from overcoming it. So the Gemara says, <clears throat> that they um, that they sat uh, that they sat for three days fasting and uh, they prayed to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and then eventually a note came down from the heaven that had on it the word Emes, which is the signature of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, as the Gemara says, and Hashem said, "Yes, I approve. I will get rid of the Yetzer of Avodah Zarah," and it came out Keguria Denura mi Beis Kachei uh, what appeared as a fiery lion came out of the Holy of Holies. So the Navi said to the Jewish people, that's the Yetzer of Avedazara. Catch it, get it, hold it prisoner. And the Gemara tells a whole story about how they caught it and kept it prisoner. Fine. Continues the Gemara. Omri, they said, Since this is a time of goodwill from Hashem, that Hashem has responded to our request to get rid of the Yetzirah of Avedah Zarah, let's ask about the other biggie, which is the Yetzirah of Avera, the Yetzirah of immorality. Bo so they davened again, Ismaser Biyadayu, that was also delivered into their hand, Chavshu Tlosa Yumi, they held it prisoner for three days, but then Ibohu Be'asa Bas then they needed an egg, a chicken egg, for a chayla, who needed a hard-boiled egg, and they couldn't find one. Meaning, that by getting rid of the Yetzer of immorality, they basically shut down all of the reproductive systems of the world. That somehow those are driven by a Yetzer. They're driven by a drive, not just by an altruistic drive to be productive, but by also by that drive, which is a, a complicated one. So they said, what should we do? So it ended up that they had to sort of give up on neutralizing the Yetzer of, of Arias. The Gemara famously says that what they were granted was that people don't have a Yetzer Harah for incestuous relationships. Other Arias they desire, but at least for incestuous relationships, that desire was mostly tamed. That's what the Gemara says. What Maral is bringing from this Gemara is that what we see in this Gemara is that there were two big Yitzarim, two big drives. One was the drive for idol worship, 
and the other one was the drive for immorality. And since those are the main occupations of the Yetzer Hara, and we know that the Yetzer Hara, Chazal tell us, for instance, that the Yetzer Hara is identical with the Satan and the Malach HaMavis, that the same thing which drives us to sin then antagonizes Hashem against us and delivers the punishment of death. So says the Maral, it is very logical that this, this, these two categories are what are called destruction. Because if these are the two main preoccupations of the Yetzer Hara, Avodah Zorah and Arayas, then of course they are the main pathways, the roads to destruction that are paved in that way. Very, very smoothly, very, very accessible. I would note to you that this is on display as well in the third paragraph of Shema, where we have a mitzvah loisaseh, you shall not stray after your heart and after your eyes. Right? Don't stray after your heart, after your eyes. Now, as a parenthetical note, very important, of all the mitzvahs in the Torah, there are six constant mitzvahs. This is one of the constant mitzvahs, not to stray after your heart and after your eyes. The tzitzis, because we see them and we remember all of the mitzvahs of Hashem, it says, and we would therefore not stray after our heart and after our eyes that we would be prone to stray after. What does it mean? So the Gemara says, after your heart refers to minus, refers to heresy. After your eyes refers to arayas, refers to immorality. To follow your eyes where they shouldn't be going, where they shouldn't be looking. So this is the prohibition that we have in the Torah, which is constant, which means that we have to be a being. When it's a constant commandment, I've said many times that my Rebbe, Zuchayin Levracha, Rabbi Weinberg, used to say that when we speak about constant mitzvahs, they're not there to say that this you have to do seven days a week, 24 hours a day, as opposed to others which are more occasional. But as opposed to a mitzvah that tells you what to do, a constant mitzvah is a mitzvah that tells you what to be. And we have to be someone who's not drawn after idol worship or immorality. We have to be higher than that, different than that. And lacking that is hashchasa, is destruction, is failure, is that the world itself, in a certain sense, is collapsing under its own weight. So there's much more to say about this. And I'll give you one little teaser, but Amir Tashem will have to continue the discussion Bezus Hashem next week. But this little Rashi that says Hashchas refers to Ervan Avaidazara, right? The Maral is helping us see, is actually opening us up to understanding these two tremendously powerful and potentially destructive forces, which are why they are called Hashchasa, which is why they are the two full-time jobs of the Yitzhara or two Yitzhara, two negative inclinations that can heaven forbid cause our world to be turned upside down. And we have to define them. So I'm just going to leave you with a, with a closing note uh, to, to, to give framework and to also maybe promote some thought and question. And that is the following. So we have here Arayus, Gili Arayus, and we have Avedazara. Now when we think about that, what's the third? We think about the three cardinal sins, which are Gili Arayus, Shvichus Domin, and Avedazara. Immorality, murder, and idol worship. And we see these as three categories. 
Avedizara is, of course, failure between man and God, religious failure. Shvichas Damim, murder, is a failure between man and man. And, of course, the Hamas that's described in the end of the Pasuk, Batimoliart's Hamas, theft, is the same. It's also a terrible sin between man and man. For some reason, it didn't ascend to murder. And then there's Gilu Yarais, which the Maral explains elsewhere, we've discussed at other times, is a failure between man and himself. A person is supposed to be a refined person who's driven by their spirit, their soul, by higher and loftier values and goals. And the one who fails with Arayas is driven by more base instincts. So all three areas are represented. Interestingly, in the, world, in the word hashchasa, we refer to the two, not to the stealing between people. Mm. So that puts it, it would seem on a lower level. But on the other hand, you all remember that coming up in the Psukim, what's it going to say? Hashem saw the earth that was corrupt. All, all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And then Hashem says to Noach, The end of all flesh comes because of the Hamas. Because the earth is filled with Hamas. What are you talking about? What happened to the Ashkasa? So Rashi says, famous Rashi that we learned before, that the fate of the Dora Mabel wasn't, fit, wasn't sealed because they were idol worshippers and wasn't sealed because of their immorality. It was sealed because of theft. So theft was the ultimate break, breaking point for this generation. Again, the opposite of the peace of the generation of, the, of, the, of Hafloga. But it was the, 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 the Hamas that did them in. So this is the irony that I point out to you in closing our discussion today. We saw this idea of hashchasa, destruction. And the Maral explained because the two heads of destruction are Arias and Avedazara. Those are the two biggies. And they're the two Yitzarim. And those are the two that are referred to here. And on the other hand, we have the third, which is mentioned seemingly as a distant third, which is the stealing. It's not one of the main, main Yitzarim. But on the other hand, it's that that sealed the fate of the Dharamabal. So it's ironic. So we need to probe this a little bit more. We need to think about a little bit more these two Yitzarim, these two desires, and how the theft, as the sealing of the fate, how that fits in to this and to this discussion. Okay, that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, I enjoy learning with you, being back together on track. And in Yitzhak Hashem, we will continue. In Yitzhak Hashem. Shavu'aba.